guys, welcome back for another episode. You're here with me, Nick. As almost always, I'm joined by my good buddy, Ronnie. Yeah, how's it, everyone? So, Ronnie, the listeners, you guys might not know, Ronnie celebrated his 52nd birthday on Friday. He's like a bully now. How is your back feeling, Ronald? My back's feeling pretty tender. That's for damn sure. I think I might have slept uh, incorrectly. Yeah, that's what happens when you're a bully like that. But that being said, Ronnie is this guy. He always disappears around his birthday. None of us ever really knows where he goes. He could be holed up at home, hiding from us, avoiding those shots that we used to give him. Or he could be back in the low felt. Ronnie, where were you? That's, that will remain undisclosed. I'm not going to tell you guys where I were, where I was. Where I don't were. want you... I don't want you guys following me. Were you where you were, though? I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> yeah, well, I was hoping we'd get some information out of you, but not to be. So yeah, happy birthday for, for Friday, Ronald. Yippee, yippee. Then what I did this weekend. So I Please tell us, because we're so interested. You know, we've said in the podcast description, this is for those guys trying to get past those hooting taxis on the William Nickel. But a couple of weeks ago, I had a taxi bump my back door and... Yesterday, I decided to get this glazed at the car wash. So this guy had this long chat with me about how he's going to do this. And I was like, okay, go ahead. So he polished the whole area where the dent, like it's not a bad dent. It was more of a graze, but left some of the taxi's color. Now it looks perfect. It's as white as anything. But the rest of my car suddenly looks gray. <laughs> like it's this spot that's been polished so perfectly. Yeah, that's what you get for being a shitty driver. For being a shitty driver. Me or the taxi? Look. Let me ask you this. How many collisions have you had with taxis? This is the only incident I've had with a taxi driver. Are you sure? Yeah. I seem to recall a couple more accidents, but yeah. that's okay. But at well, the age of 52, we can't really count on your opinion. Fair right? enough, fair enough. <laughs> so, Ronnie, then we had some lacquer rugby on this weekend. It was the Champions and Challenge Cups semi-finals, setting up some interesting fixtures there. But let's start with the Leinster versus Toulouse game. Five tries to three and two for Jack Conan. What a win for Leinster. Yeah, look, Leinster didn't play to lose. They may have played to lose, but they didn't play to lose. Jack's never going to get old. No, it's not going to. I love that joke. I mean, so funny. But yeah, well done to Leinster. I'm glad that they won because I'm hoping that it takes away from the URC upcoming performances. Yeah, that's something that I definitely want to have a little bit of a chat about. But also great to see South African Jason Jenkins get in on the score sheet for Leinster. Good to see him representing there. And actually, with the way the final is going to go now, there will be at least one South African that gets their hand on that trophy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think in that fixture, ill-discipline really cost to lose. It was eight penalties to one at halftime. And I mean, four of the Leinster tries came during the yellow card. So four out of five tries, whilst you're missing a player, I think that's quite telling and something to lose will definitely want to improve on. Yeah, for sure. Look, well done for capitalizing on, on, on the man down. So, yeah, good on you, Leinster. Yeah, like you say, you often see a team go man down and the, com- the performance of the other side seems to fail a bit. But Leinster really took their chances there, really made that, that absent player's absence felt, yeah. if you will. I thought Thomas Ramos had another good game at 15, though, for Toulouse. He's, Brilliant. He's really, really good. He's a player that impresses me quite a lot. And, you know, I think the Leinster pack ultimately proving the difference. They were so powerful. They didn't allow DuPont any space around the rucks and really managed to shut down the kicking game as well. Look, definitely the top team in Europe. Yep. Right? They're the Crusaders of 10 years ago in Europe. Well done to Leinster. And, jeez, they're bloody brilliant. Yeah, so Leinster back into the final. They were there last year. 
And funny enough, we'll be playing La Rochelle, who beat Exeter Chiefs this weekend. That was a very, very good game from La Rochelle. They managed a 47-28 win. Again, repeat of last year's fixture, but you're absolutely right. A couple of South Africans in the La Rochelle, so even they could get their hands on the trophy. Yeah, well, like you say, so La Rochelle scored seven tries in that fixture to two from Exeter. And it was two tries for Kerbalo and two for Raymond Rule. So good to see him getting on the score sheet on that side of the, the log. And La Rochelle, the team that beat Leinster in last year's final, this is the first time ever that you've got a, a repeat of the previous year's final. Look, I saw a post. I saw a post meme that, that basically linked or associated Leinster, La Rochelle and Toulouse uh, to the rock, paper, scissors, you know, in, in that game. So... La Rochelle always manages to beat Leinster. Leinster always manages to beat Toulouse. And Toulouse seems to always beat La Rochelle. So, yeah, maybe that's telling for what, what's to come. And Leinster always lose to the Blue Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> so, now you're talking Lizard about Spock. Lizard Spock in there. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. that La Rochelle were all about setting records in this one. So, this is the most tries ever scored in a Champions Cup semi-final as well as the most points ever in a semi-final. Very, very good from the La Rochelle men. Also, Dylan Lades representing them there. I did, however, find the decision by Exeter Chiefs not to start Stuart Hogg to be a bit of a silly one. I don't know why you wouldn't start Hoggy at 15. Oh, well, it seems to be a case with Stuart Hogg in, in the Scottish team as well, the Scottish setup. People don't want to start him. He's a brilliant player. He should be starting every game that he has the opportunity to start. He really is such quality. And, I mean, he proved that when he came on, he really made a difference. You know, Exeter would have loved their start to this game. Fifth minute, Sam Simmons bashed his way over for a try. Looked like Exeter were going to really claw their way in and, and maintain a presence in this game. But after that, it sort of just fell off. And I must say, French captain Gregor Aldrit or deputy captain, sorry, is an absolute beast in the loose forwards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Then, Ronnie, we also had some Challenge Cup action on this weekend, also the semi-finals there. We had Toulon versus Benetton. That was a bit of a disappointing one. You never want to see a team score zero, but Toulon getting a 23-0 win in that fixture. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think Toulon beating Benetton bodes well for the seventh place position in the URC. So that's one thing I kept my eye on. If either Benetton or the Scarlets won the Challenge Cup, they would uh, they would make it into the Champions Cup for next year. And with that, kick out seventh place in the URC. Yeah, so the Bulls fans will be definitely celebrating that. The Sharks are ready, unless they win the URC out of this. But, you know, sixth minute red card to Charles Olivan for a high tackle. That really, you know, you would have thought it would have hurt Toulon. But Toulon never gave up. Hey, Paris says grabber. In the fourth minute, put their center away for a score, and they just never took their foot off the pedal. I think Dan Bigger was a huge signing for them this year, and Cheslin Colby appearing at 15. Yeah, it's good to see Cheslin playing well. Yeah, and getting a bit of exposure there at fullback. He might be called into service there for the box. So good to see him playing on the wing and at 15. Then we go over to Glasgow Warriors versus Scarlets. That was the other semi-final. Glasgow Warriors getting a win there, a come-from-behind win, if you will, 35-17 over Scarlets. Good convincing win for Glasgow. And uh, like I said, dashing the Scarlets' hopes of making it into the Champions Cup. Yeah, and Glasgow, that's their first ever European final appearance, which is really good for them. So shout-out to you boys. And a shout-out to a South African there as well, and Franku Smith, coaching the side very well. 
But I thought, Ronnie, both sides in that fixture were absolutely bloody terrible at the breakdown. Uh, turnovers, 14 for Scarlets and 13 for Warriors. That's quite shocking, really. But yeah, yeah even mm-hmm. Steven still. Yeah, so Warriors fortunately managing to, to hold on. And with five tries to one, they did win that fixture. But they're going to need to clean up that area when they face Toulon in the final later in May. Yeah, just going back to what you said, I just want to correct you. You could say that both teams played poorly with respect to the turnovers, but isn't that just a case of the fetchers doing their jobs on both sides? Yeah, I suppose that could be. So would you argue there's still a place for a fetcher in the modern day? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, we spoke last week about Dion and Nama missing from the Stormers' side. I've always been heavily in favour of a fetcher. The Springboks get away with it and they're loose generally because they've got a Malcolm Marks or a Bongi or a Lacanya Am doing the duty. Okay, so you're touching on something that I think we can discuss a little bit later, but let's put a pin in that. Getting me all excited here, Ronnie. We're talking back about South African rugby. Yeah. But mentioning South African rugby, off the top of your head, you know, what can the South African teams really do next year to perform better in this competition? Because we're interested now, and we would love to see a South African team making it all the way to the final at least next year. Look, it's just all very new to us. It's the first time we've been allowed to play in the EPCRs and it's been definitely challenging trying to balance all the competitions that have been going on. I think it's just another year or two and we'll find our balance and then we'll be in it again. Yeah, for me, I think the biggest work on for them there is the travel. They need to charter a direct flight to wherever they're going. Mm. I think that was the major complaint and concern. We spoke about all the stormers flying up and down, up and down, up and down. Those guys are racking in the air miles. The thing I think they also need to work on is the scheduling of when certain fixtures take place because a lot of stormers back and forth traveling could have been cut out with a bit better planning in terms of when the URC and the Heineken Cup intersect, you know, so that if they're playing Leinster in Ireland and Munster in the URC the following week, you know, then it eases that travel burden. Yeah, I think they try that, though. They do. So you are European tours that happen similar to Super Rugby, but I think it's just really difficult. So many so many teams involved. Tricky. And what do you say then, Ronnie, on the fact that the hosting of the final is predetermined? So, I mean, obviously that benefits Leinster in this one. They'll be having a home final. But that was not necessarily going to be the case. It could have been the Stormers versus Benetton or whatever it might have been, and then it would have been a little bit of an absurd one. Yeah, look, I think initially I'm I'm okay with that being the case. I think a couple of years down the line, we could probably go back to the Super Rugby model where it gets played by, you know, at the home stadium of, of the best-ranked team or whatever the case is. But I think I think for now it's okay to predetermine the final. People, people especially in Europe, love to travel. You know, it's not that far to to fly across Europe. So I think, you know, they can plan that quite easily. Let's give it another year or two and then we'll revisit this conversation. I think once the South African teams start complaining because they're in a final and they're having to play a final very far away from home, uh, then something, you know, traveling supporters will start complaining and then we'll have to revisit this discussion. But look, I think for now it's fine and and they really make a big event out of it. They start promoting it months or a year in advance. So, you know, they've already released where the final's going to be uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yeah, know? so Saracens will have a home home final next year should they make it that far. But also any of our listeners over in the UK and Europe and so on, if you were to travel here, it's too cheap. 
Yeah. Like genuinely. It's really what it costs cheap. you for a coffee there is like a full Honestly. breakfast, sausage, bacon, eggs, alles. You can get it all. Yeah. And I can tell you because I was in Dublin not that a yeah. month ago, whatever. And I can tell you beer is cost just under a euro. Yeah. So that's, yeah, you guys, I can't even begin to explain how much cheaper it would be here. But bids after 2024, so 25 and 26 are open. Maybe we're going to see Greenpoint throw one in there. And, and yeah, because Cape Town would be exciting. I mean, we're, we're big fans of Cape Town after yeah. our trip there. So Cape Town is really... We don't like Cape Town. Sorry, we have to just clarify. We don't like Cape Town. Cape Town is rubbish. We don't <laughs> like Cape Town at all. It's not South Africa, but the stadium is great. Yeah, I think we like Truth Coffee. We like Forrester's Arms. And we like Greenpoint Stadium. The rest you can keep. <laughs> <laughs> And Ronnie, then over to the Curry Cup. That was the South African rugby that was on this weekend. So Lions getting a win, 26 points to 10 over the Pumas. I think the Lions really bullied the Pumas in that fixture and the Pumas only suffering now their second loss. Yeah, so well done to the Lions. Yeah. To beat Pumas, which is usually a feeder team for the Lions. And and just well well done. To beat the Pumas is not easy. Yeah, I think it was quite funny for me that Mornay van der Berg scored two tries through a dummy pass. That's not something you see re- repetitively in fixtures anymore. Maybe his passing is just so terrible. <laughs> well, he did score from it. I'm going to leave the Cheetahs game to last because there's a lot to talk about here. But Sharks then got a win over Griquas at home, 24 points to 6. That keeps the th- Sharks at third place on the log. Then Vierpia Bulls, an interesting fixture because the Bulls put some of their URC stars into that one, hoping to get a bit of momentum ahead of the clash in the quarterfinal. And Bulls going down 31 points to 7. You know, I hate to say it, but Vierpia just seemed to be the team in South Africa across all competitions. I mean, Vierpia slash Stormers, I hate them, but you know, John Dobson you really... hate the Stormers? John Dobson really knows what he's doing for some reason. Yeah, it's it's definitely that they've got the Bulls number at the moment. They're constantly winning. I think this is the sixth win on the trot against them. So Jake won't be too happy. He tried to pull a fast one there, and it did not work out in his favor. Then, Ronnie, Cheetahs versus Griffins. Did you catch this game? No, I didn't, but now I'm really interested to see what you're <laughs> going to tell me. Right. For those that didn't see this game, it was absolutely bloody bonkers so kickoffs delayed 10 minutes ronnie because of the weather right i saw that kickoffs delayed for 10 minutes then kickoff happens 45 seconds into the game power is gone load jetting we're joking really stadium goes dark Forty-five seconds in so then they now go off the field and the referee says to them right we can reschedule to saturday or to sunday the griffins say no Harvey's Furry wants them to reschedule the fixture so that it can be played. Griffin say no. So now it comes to this point where if that game does not take place tonight, the Griffins will lose the fixture because they're refusing to reschedule it. But the Cheetahs wouldn't get any points on the board. And they needed the points difference in order to catch up to the Pumas. So while they would have got the log points, the points difference would have still been the hurdle. So Harvey's Furry made them wait to kick off at 9.30 at night. They played until just before midnight, and then they got their, their points difference they were looking for. I did not know that that happened. Yeah, <laughs> what a bizarre occurrence, eh? Yeah, so that's awesome. So the Griffins obviously knew that they had the upper hand, and the Cheetahs wanted the game to go ahead, so, you know, they had all the cards. Yep, so <laughs> I think the Griffins might have thought they would get a draw out of this one and some more log points, but yeah, Harvey's very stuck to his gun, got his way, and I mean, the Supersport camera crew had already packed up when they decided they were going to play. They had to put out all the cameras again. 
Well, that's a logistical nightmare. Yeah, that's for sure, Ronnie. So that wraps up your, your Curry Cup action for the weekend. Then this weekend, as everyone knows, there's some big fixtures coming up. We've got the URC quarterfinals, four games there, three South African teams involved. One at least definitely going to make it through to the semis. But let's start with Ulster vs. Connacht, Ronnie. It's been announced that Andrew Brace from Ireland will be the match official. Kickoff there is at 7.35pm South African time at the Ravenhill Stadium. What are your thoughts on this game, Ronald? Look, I'm going to stick with Ulster just purely because they're the top-ranked team. And I think Connacht is very much like the Sharks being, being a very average team. I don't want to say that. Like, Connacht can play really well and they're very difficult to beat. But I think this is going the way of the Ulster men. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting fixture. I think Ulster's really sort of come into their own in the latter parts of the season. And I think home ground advantage there for the Ulstermen is going to see them home. So I think you and I both agree it's a, it's a win for Ulster. They'll be progressing. Then we move to Saturday. Saturday's first game is the Stormers hosting the Blue Bulls at Greenpoint Stadium. Yaku Paper's been announced as the referee. 3.30 kickoff at Greenpoint, Ronnie. What are your thoughts on this fixture? I see Mark from SA Rugby Mag says Bulls to win by 10. Oh, Mark's delusional. <laughs> right, we just <laughs> off the mark. <laughs> He's off the mark. But um, Well, we just said that Vepia seems to have the Bulls number, so... I think it's going to be much of what you what you what you saw in the Curry Cup uh, unfolding in the URC too. So I'm going to have to unfortunately go and say the Stormers will take it. Although I'll definitely be changing my blood from red to to blue. Yeah, it's also an interesting one because the Stormers have struggled in the last two weeks. But the player we spoke about, which was probably the reason they were struggling, was uh, Dion Ferry's absence. He's now back. He's fully training. He will be eligible for selection this weekend. But not only that, the Bulls have got back their leader, Marcel Kutsia. He's returned from Japan. Your boy Marcel, hey? Yeah. So whether or not he's going to be eligible to play, he might be desperate to play now that there's there's a gap with Sia's injury. You never know what's going on there. So we could see a titanic clash between Marcel and Dion Ferri. Have you been talking to... to... Have you been talking to Max from the Black Funny Blackboard? enough, I did watch Max's video a little bit. Earlier. I saw Ma- a message about this. I story. saw Marcel Kutsia crept into his potential squad for the World Cup and I thought... That would bring you some joy. Yeah, I'm still not convinced it's going to happen. I've sort of come to terms with the fact that he's not on Rassi and Jacques' top radar. But it could definitely happen. And a game against the Stormers where the Bulls win could definitely do a lot to push his case forward for box selection. Okay, we'll get to that. So you're saying Stormers. I'm also going to go Stormers. And I'm going to say Stormers to win it by a score and a half. By a score and a half sounds reasonable. Yeah, definitely. Then, Ronnie, the toughest fixture of them all. Sharks have travelled to Ireland to face Leinster. Craig Evans from Wales has been appointed as the match official. Kickoff at 6pm on Saturday at Lansdowne Road. Yeah, so I'm shaking my head a bit here because I think the Sharks have one hell of an uphill battle against Leinster. I'm hoping that Leinster's performance in the Champions Cup would have taken it out of them a bit, but it's difficult. Yeah, it's also bad when you see the Leinster squad that assembled to train this week because last week they were still missing a couple of guys when they faced to lose. And now you've got Robbie Henshaw coming back, Dan Sheehan coming back, and Josh van der Fleer is fully fit now. It's only really Sexton that they're going to be missing for selection here. And I would fancy them to start a full-strength side against the Sharks. So who are you backing? Just because I can't stand how you hate on our team, Ronnie, I'm backing the Sharks to win by I'm also one backing point. the Sharks. Is it? Sharks by one. Guys, I'm going to screen grab Super Brew because I do not believe that Ronnie's doing it's, this. It's our destiny. It's We're our destiny. Win. 
Like the Bills did it last year. Like the Bills the did it. The, the Sharks are going to do it this year. The Sharks are going to are going to make it. I don't think they'll win the USC, but they're going to make it to the final. Yeah, well, that would be bloody epic. Let's hope we don't regret our words. <laughs> then we go over Glasgow. They're playing host to Munster in the last quarterfinal of the weekend. Andre Piardi from Italy will be refereeing that one at the Scottsdale Stadium in Glasgow. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think if you asked me this you know, a couple of months ago, even last year, I would have backed the Munster boys. The Irish teams just seem to be the, you know, elevated above the rest. But I think Glasgow's got something in them at the moment. They're playing with a lot of passion. They're playing really well. And I think, I think Glasgow will take this one. Yeah, I also... I think Glasgow has, especially after the boost they would have had from last weekend's exactly. victory. I th- I'm going Glasgow also by narrow margin, though, maybe three to four points. Okay, I agree. You, Our Super Brew is going to be very close and very interesting. This I'm going to screen grab all of this, guys, because I don't believe Ronnie at all. He's smirking here, hoping he can pull the wool over a few of our eyes and climb up the punt at Super Brew. But speaking of Super Brew, Ronnie, do you have some information there for us? Yeah, so in the URC, it's obviously crunch time now, and we've got quite tight up at the top. But we'll just, we'll go, we'll talk about the top three. Uh, so in third place, we've got uh, Potties or Lawrence Potgieter on 130.75 points. Second place, we've got Henry, Henry Ballard. He's on 133.5 points. And then in the top spot, we've got Saint Vess, which is Davi Liebenberg. He's a bloody Stormer supporter, so that sucks. Was that Davi in first place? Yeah, that's Davi in first Back place. Back Davi. 133.75 points. So it's all very much a lot to play for. Um, I see these guys at the top don't have many bonus points, but quite a few Grand Slam points. So it's very tight up at the top there. Well, Davi, if you can keep it up, we've got a rugby ball night for you at the end of the season should you win it. So keep making those picks. I think as a Stormers fan, you may have a better chance than most backing our loyalties. The lights are pretty cool when ESCOM provides us electricity, though. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, they are not load-shedding friendly. So, Ronnie, then over to the Major League Rugby, which is something we actually haven't covered since Season 1. But some interesting things going on there with Porter Human, the former Bulls and Tucks coach. So him, as well as Ollie Richardson, the coach of Rugby New York, both handed six weeks bans and an undisclosed fine for their conduct. So I had to eat my words. I actually had to rejig the message that I sent to the WhatsApp group that we always talk about. I saw the slap occur and I was like, yeah, bloody Americans, you know, and then quickly had to realize it was a South South African. African. So for those that didn't see what actually transpired, there's Ollie Richardson, the coach of Rugby New York, was on the field and he was giving one of Porter's Houston Sabercats a bit of a tough time. Porter. Porter. And he came on and there were some words exchanged. He gave him the Polokwane de Kakamas and Richardson retaliated with a bit of a right hook. Both coaches were taken off the pitch and like I've said, they have been dealt with six-week ban handed out there. But yeah, Ronnie, a bit of an entertaining in- incident. And even more so when you pointed out to me that Heineke Mayer was in yeah. the background. Or did Heineke Mayer decide he wasn't going to get involved? He was just standing in the background. They're probably both from Benoni. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, Puerto dished out, uh, like you said, the express from from where? From Polokwane to Kakamas. <laughs> yeah, he dished that out. And uh, yeah, it, you, don't, you don't always want to see it, but it is sometimes a little bit entertaining. That's for sure, Ronnie. Then we've heard a lot of talk in the media recently about the potential of a TMO bunker or an orange card. For those that thought that were two different things like I initially did, it is in fact not. 
Ronnie for well, once had some information that I did not. It is somewhat similar, right? So for a couple of weeks now, a couple of podcast episodes, I've spoken about the fact that we need to introduce more than one TMO, right? So essentially the TMO bunker will comprise of reviewers, which is essentially what I think, you know, an extra couple of extra TMOs. So an orange card will be dished out. In the case that referees are unsure about whether it's a red card offense or whether it's a yellow card, so they'll just dish out a red card, which is essentially a yellow card. But while the player is sitting down serving his, his sanction, his sanction 10 minutes, the TMO bunker will review the incident and then decide whether that needs to be elevated to a red card or not. I like that there are extra TMOs. One thing I don't like, and this is maybe just because I'm, I'm special, is I quite enjoy watching the reviews. I like the pause in the game and watching the reviews and, and screaming and shouting at the TV myself. Yeah, I, after you messaged me that earlier, I gave it some thought. And I must agree, being at the stadium, part of it is watching the reviews. That's the only time you take your head up from your beer and you're like, okay, this is what happened. We can talk about it quickly and then we can get back to just screaming at the field the whole time. Yeah, because now the game's going to carry on and we're still trying to half decide what's happening on the sidelines replays on the big screen but the game's carrying on maybe just pause the game let's all decide as fans whether we are happy or not yeah i think i think i agree with you it's definitely part of the experience there for those that haven't yet seen this in action i would say go and watch the angus blythe yellow card or orange card he was given in super rugby pacific that's where it's being trialed at the moment for me though that incident was a little bit absurd so the ref gives him a yellow and says yes it's going to be reviewed whilst you're sitting in a eventually was upgraded to red but in my mind that was the clearest red card so is this not just going to be a way of refs to thinking a yellow card is actually easy to give i mean like it's not going to cause that much damage when a yellow can still hurt a team i mean look what you saw against toulouse this weekend so you're saying that refs are going to be more what's the word willing to give a willing yellow. to give a yellow now because you know they'd, they'd rather they'd rather err on the side of caution and give a yellow than not give a yellow and instead stick with it exactly it suddenly penalty. seems like the safe bet for them and shifting the blame onto the tmo or the, the tmo bunker exactly so i mean the intention behind this is obviously to get the game flowing to stop these stoppages and to maybe take away a little bit of bias but something else you said to me today ronnie which was you know why have them when the TMO could just check all the other cards? Yeah, so that's what I was saying in trying to understand what the purpose is of an orange card, right? Because at the moment, it's, they, they get dished yellow cards and the yellow card gets elevated. So why not just give a yellow card like normal and you don't need to dish out an orange card to allow the TMO to review it while he's serving a sanction. Just give a yellow card and let the TMO bunker, there's enough of them, let them review every yellow card. And just to be clear, you can still give a red card, which is what should have happened in the Angus Blythe incident. But the yellow card should always be reviewed by the TMO. I think that should just be a standard thing in the game. But the other thing that you said that I found interesting was... Yes, I said a lot to you today. You did, eh? You were rather chatty. Oh, thanks for the responses. Good chat. It's a pleasure, buddy. You know, you said no replays until a call has been made. But I think that actually avoids what the actual problem is. The problem is not... So just unpack that a bit. Okay, to unpack that. So Ronnie says here, no replays until the call has been made. So No replays on the big screen, which can influence the referee, which is dictated by the, the home fields, exactly. the home team's TV crew. Exactly. But what we're seeing is not the referee seen an incident and has then referred it and don't play the, re the replays until there's a decision. What we're seeing is those 
event hosters at the stadium putting images to make the referee decide there is something that yeah. needs to be looked at yeah and that's coming in before this so that's that's really frustrating and i actually think that's what world rugby needs to work on more than this whole orange card tmo should just be looking at every other whether it should be upgraded i think yes tmo bunker good introduction of some additional eyes to review all the available angles right point number one point number two world rugby definitely needs to sort out certain countries and their tv crews like you say deliberately putting specific angles on the screen to try and influence the referee into looking at something that potentially shouldn't have been looked at exactly that steals away from the natural flow of the game but then something wishless rule ronnie what do you want for world rugby to do ahead of the world cup oh well we've just spoken about it want the tmo bunker to be a thing i don't think there's a need for an orange card i just think the tmo bunker should review all yellow cards and yeah, I suppose I'll concede and say, look, fine, review the review every incident while the game is, is playing and decide later on whether it needs to be elevated to red. But I say that begrudgingly because what I really want is to be able to scream at the TV myself and yeah. not miss. I can see the, that from here. I can see it from here. It's foot <laughs> out. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying? I can see it all the way from Pretoria. That's what I want to scream at the TV and I don't want to miss the game while I'm screaming. So. So yeah, that's just my wish list. But look, this is also going to be trialed in the Under-20 World Cup, which is True. happening later in the year. I mean, that's just the Under-20 Championship, which they call the World Cup. And that's happening in June, July. Yeah, that's true. And well, since you asked me, my wish... What's, for... your, what's your wish? Oh, thanks, Ronnie. Yeah, my wish is to get rid of this bloody shot clock. Kerwin Bosch literally takes no, up to like two seconds away and it gives me a fucking heart attack every single time. I don't think the shot clock's bad. Oh, I think the I shot clock's it. great. And Kerwin Bosch is using every available second at his disposal. I'm sure he knows exactly how much time he has. Imagine losing the World Cup final because the ball blew off Andre Pollard's tee. And Faf took too long to run there and put it back. <laughs> sure, but... Uh, I will throw the DSTV remote through the TV. Yeah, no. <laughs> Look, if that happens, they they probably need to leave the country and never come back. But But look... I like the shot clock because some some teams really did like to take their sweet time with every bloody kick. So, yeah. The Dan Bigger with a big arena. With a big arena, yeah. Fortunately, the big arena is now a thing of the past. And then, Ronnie, just two last topics for us to cover. So, we've now seen that there's a lot of talk that Rassi Erasmus is going to resume his role as head coach of the Springboks, at least for two years post-World Cup as he grooms either of Stick or Dion Davids, to take over in full strength before 2027. What do you think of that? Yeah, that's relief to me, right? So I think the announcement, we said it last week's podcast, possibly the week before, they did it with with Ian Foster as well. Announcing that you're going to leave the team so far in the future, it, 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 yeah, it, it costs doubt in the team and creates uncertainty. So that's not always good to see. But if Rusty says he's going to stick around, I think some players will probably feel a little bit more calm or relaxed. Yeah. So I'm quite happy that Rasid has decided to stay. And look, I think we're still on the money with, with either Stoker or Dion Davids taking on uh, head coaching roles. So so good. Rasid, uh, prime those guys because we'll, it's almost certain that they're going to be the coaches. Yeah, it reminded me when this news broke of that scene from Wolf of Wall Street. Rusty's like, I'm never fucking leaving the whole country. Yeah, don't go anywhere. <laughs> <Rassi. saying>. yeah. <laughs> so I'm more than happy to see Rusty sticking around. I'm not going anywhere. 
That's quite funny. Sometimes you can be funny. Thanks, Ron. Yes, you've been such a nice guy tonight. Eh? What got into you? Is it... It's the age. The age, eh? Then an unfortunate thing to have to discuss, the injury to Sia Khaleesi. He underwent surgery on Friday in hopes of making it to the World Cup. Whether or not that will happen remains to be seen. But I think we both agree we need Sia in France. He's a definite asset. And I definitely believe he brings a lot to the change room. My father even said it this weekend. Sia brings a lot to the change room. He He's a good leader. And he's not a good leader. He's a great leader. And look, we won 2007, not with the best hooker on the field, but with the best captain playing hooker in John Smith and Francois Pino as well. So Sia is, yeah, he won us the 2019 World Cup leading from the front and it's a definite asset as a captain. With that said, I think the structure of the Springboks is such that they mitigated the loss by delegating some leadership to other players like a Vermeulen, like a Eben. You know, there's certain players in the front row, in the back line, that are all leaders in their own right. Sia's just the best of them. And I think in his absence, and, and that loss will be mitigated by the fact that we've created such a good setup, I think that captaincy will most likely go to Eben. Yeah, it's a tough one to decide. I think Pollard is probably the favorite for that. But we did run a poll on Spotify account, guys. So please go vote there. I see some guys have. It's a Beth came out top vote there with 38% followed by Dwayne at 23. Whether or not Sia's injury elevates Dwayne back to the starting team, I'm not so sure. Obviously, we've got a healthy leadership group because you've also got Lukanya Arm, Stephen Kitsoff. You know, there's there's a wealth of experience there, but it's it's not so much just the captaincy. It's what Sia brings as a whole to that spring yeah, team and to that team's identity that I think will be missing should he not board the plane to France. Yeah, look, I think regardless of what happens, though, he should still board the plane to France. He yeah. could be Waterboy, right? Yeah. I mean, he could take on, he could take Rossi's Waterboy bib and run into the field bringing water, I suppose. Don't say that too loudly. Bill Beaumont might be one of our listeners and he's going to now change the rules of World okay, well, right, uh, well, we'll see. I better get a, get a doctor's qualification or something, become the team medic or something. Because <laughs> yeah. I think he needs to be there. He needs to be in the change room as an honored guest or whatever. He can wear his suit. But he needs to be there. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. He's a vital member of this box squad under this current regime. So, Sia, really hoping you have a good recovery. And would love to see you there with the boys in France. Okay, so then who starts at six? Okay, so this is based off the conversation that I was alluding to earlier with uh, you know, Marcel Kitsia. And in the modern game, is there such a requirement to have a designated fetcher in your loose trio? Is that important? Or can we delegate some of those tasks to a Malcolm Marks or even an Eben? Eben Eben's going to rip a ball from you very easily. I don't think we need a dedicated fetcher or, you know, an enforcer in the loose I think every game has, you know, you either put two enforcers on the field or one or two fetchers on the field or you don't put either of them on because, you know, those roles can be filled by multiple people. So it just really opens us up to say, well, there's a whole bunch of loose Lucys that could potentially play, that could wear that six jersey that could fill multiple roles. Yeah, look, I definitely think you're not going to get a like-for-like like replacement for Sia. You know, he, he was not a fetcher in the box side, no. but he was a threat out wide. Sure. I think inside chance of the starter now, if Sia's not there, is Quacha Smith. Quacha. So I that's what I was getting to, yeah. Quacha deserves his spot in that starting loose trio. But he's very much a fetcher, right? So he's, he's going to get into that ruck and he's going to come out of the ball like a Heinrich Brousseau, right? Exactly. 
And I think Kwaka then opens up the spot on the bench for the likes of an Elric Lowe to come in there or Dwayne, you know, someone that can also rotate around the loose forwards. So Evan Ruiz. Evan Ruiz. I think Evan Ruiz is disciplined. He's not going to make it to the World Cup. But you've got some players in the Sharks team as well, like at Notche too, that probably need to have another look in because he was injured last year. Agreed. So, you know, there's there's a lot to go there, but I would say Quacker Smith probably has the inside track for that one. Right. He's going to be the most likely and most common starter. Yeah, I suppose, in the absence of any of the Lucys, right? And that's what I was trying to get. Any of our Lucys could step into any of the other Lucys' positions and probably perform just as well. That's true. And ultimately, I trust Quacker, and he's only 29. Yeah, I saw that today. I got that on Max's lectures. Shout out, Max. But, But yeah, you're absolutely right. 29, that's very young. Yeah, no, that is unbelievably young. He's almost 30 years younger than you. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, so you're fifty-two, I'm fifty-nine now. And yes, I did just math. Well done. Puff makes me not so sure if I mathed correctly though. Then we go on to the last thing, Marion Null writing in this week. Thanks for that, Marion. Please pop us your I'm gonna details. go with Marion. Marion. Please pop us your details and we will send you through some punted merch. We always appreciate you guys reaching out. And for those listeners that are wondering about this WhatsApp group that we've been talking about. We had a couple of guys email in this week asking how they can join the WhatsApp group. It's actually just a couple of mates that we play Super Brew with. It's not a punted affiliated group. Ronnie is also the clown there, though. I can assure you of that. Maybe we can create a WhatsApp group. Just saying. Yeah, maybe that's something that could be in the cards. A supporters club. Yeah, maybe let us know if that's something you guys would be keen for. I mean, you've organized great events in the past. If we have a WhatsApp group and get 200 people on the WhatsApp group, you could organize great Springbok days. That's true. Nick's events planning. (laughs) That could be quite lacquer. But yeah, so if that's something you guys would be keen for, please do let us know. We would definitely look at exploring it then. But for the moment, there is no punted punted group. Official. Official. Um, So, Marianne, you asked us, the SA sides have so many injuries at the moment. Are we playing too much rugby? Another one or two Springboks out could be a disaster for the World Cup. You're looking to me as if I need to respond to that first. Yes, Ronald. So I asked my good friend, <coughs> ChatGPT. Oh, yes. All right. So ChatGPT is fantastic, right? I have great conversations with said AI person. But ChatGPT pointed out to me that in the lead up to 2007's World Cup win, uh, we had injuries leading up to the World Cup to Butch James, to Skulk Berger, Bucky's Boerter, John Smith, and we won the World Cup. In the lead up to 2019's win, we had injuries to Ches and Colby in the World Cup and leading in, into he the, the Cup. semi-final and into the World Cup. Sia Khaleesi injured his knee in the lead-up to 2019 in the Super Rugby season. Faf de Klerk, Trevor Nyakani was also, he couldn't even make the World Cup. Yeah. He still went on to win. So, Marianne, I want to say, yes, it's concerning when we see injuries, but I also want to say is we've been there, we've done it before multiple times. I wouldn't be concerned because... These guys are professionals, especially someone like Asiya. He's going to be surrounded by the best, best doctors, best rehab specialists. And I think they're going to be there. And if he's not, I think that we've got some serious depth in a number of positions that will be fine. I think the only place where I would be truly concerned with an injury is at fly half. Yeah, I think Ronnie summed it up pretty perfectly. My only concern would also be at fly half. I think a lot of these players will make it back. Sia is now obviously the biggest worry. but 
Rugby is a contact sport. Injuries are inevitable. It can happen right in the beginning of a season. It can happen at the end of the season. And that's why you have a four-year cycle to build depth, to cater for these possibilities. Yeah, and it happens. We we know how to roll with it. Staying positive for now. Yeah, there we go. Thanks for tuning in this week, guys. We really enjoyed this chat. Don't forget to check us out on your preferred listening platform. And for those of you listening on Spotify, vote in our poll. We're trying to get these out there, see how well they work. We'd love to hear from you all. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and we'll check you back here next week, Wednesday. Mm-hmm.